Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. So last week we were talking about, in John chapter 7, how many of the Jewish people of the days of Jesus had already started rejecting him because in verse 31, he says, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So it's like they kind of believed him, but not. They believe that he was Messiah-like, I'm sure, but he wasn't quite the Messiah because he didn't just suddenly appear in the temple as they had misinterpreted, in my opinion, uh, Malachi 3 verse 1, basically where the Lord appears suddenly at his temple kind of thing. So we're going to pick it up this week in verse 32, and we're going to take it down through uh, verse, let's see, 52 here. So starting in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these things, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him, basically probably for the sin of blasphemy, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And John 5, 18, it's recorded that the people basically made that, that connection. He didn't say our father or our God and our father. He said my father. If you put yourself on the footing of somebody else, such as like me, say me and my own father, my own dad, we have equal footing and authority of the household. So if somebody's coming in from the outside, something were to happen to my father, I have equal footing that he had. So it's that same idea that Jesus is basically saying, you know, God is my father. And so I have equal footing with him. They well understood what he was saying. So this is probably why the chief priests and Pharisees were sending people to arrest him, basically for religious blasphemy. In verse 33, then uh, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am or where I am, you cannot come. And then the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersions among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does it mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? So basically, you know, Jesus is prophesying his death and that he will go to the Father, but that he will resurrect and then he will return to them. But when Jesus resurrected from the dead, if you look through the Gospels, he didn't appear to non-believers at that point anymore, right? He wasn't among the people. He only appeared to believers because at that point, he was for them. He was basically initiating his kingdom. He was going to go ahead and build his church because the Jewish people, by and large, would reject him. And this was a prophesied rejection that would happen based on the summation of what the Old Testament teaches. Speaking of what the Old Testament teaches, uh, Jesus says a statement here that's not necessarily found in the scriptures as far as a quotation. I can't point you to this verse, this verse, and this verse that says exactly this. In verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there's no Old Testament verse that necessarily says that. And some commentators have come to the thought and opinion that it's more of a summary of what was taught in the Old Testament. There is another quotation in the Gospels that where I believe in the book of Matthew, uh, it's talking about, and he, being Jesus, shall be called a Nazarene. Again, 
There is no Old Testament verse necessarily that says that. And there is a little bit of summation. Maybe it's based on Isaiah 11 or 1, or perhaps it's based off of, say, um, you know, Psalm 22, verses 6 through 7, or Isaiah 53, uh, 3, rather, where basically, you know, these people are going to be really despised and hated just as Jesus would be. Hence, they will be called Nazarenes or he will be called a Nazarene in that he will be rejected and despised because even um, uh, one of the disciples, when he was called and says, you know, Hey, uh, come see Jesus uh, of Nazareth. And he goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? So it was not a good place to necessarily come from. Right. And so the scripture said, basically Matthew had interpreted, he shall be called a Nazarene. It's the same thing here when Jesus is talking about rivers of living water. So like, say, for example, the prophecy in Ezekiel 36, it says in verse 33, thus says the Lord God on that day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. Interesting side note, Mark Twain actually toured the Holy Land, Israel or Palestine, as it was called in those days. And he said it was an absolute wasteland. It was a swampland. Why would anybody live there? So that makes sense why Ezekiel 36 verse 33 says this. Picking it up in verse 34, And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being desolation, that it was in a... Let me start that over again. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. Mark Twain, right? In verse 35, And they will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. What is going to revitalize land? If there is a famine, if there is a drought, what is going to basically rebirth the land? It's going to be water, right? It's going to be rains that come down. It's going to be uh, basically a rehydration uh, of the land, so to speak, right? If we go over to Joel chapter 2, in verse 23, it says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. And if we go down to verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and on every male and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit so it's this thought and idea that basically that god is going to give his spirit to the nation and it is going to revitalize them just as rain revitalize a drought parched land and i believe and many commentators do believe that's what jesus meant when he says the scriptures has said out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water because the new covenant is all about being filled with the holy spirit and being filled with new life and not being controlled by sin and not being controlled by the law that just awakens sin within you because if the law says do not covet if you're outside of the new covenant you're just going to want to covet all that much more because your flesh is going to be quickened to just go i want to do the exact opposite of what god tells me to do okay in verse 39 in john chapter 7 and this he has said about the Spirit. And so again, in context, that makes sense that Jesus was talking about the Spirit because the very next verse talks about just that. I'll restart the verse. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom 
those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was not yet glorified. The sin, basically the temple, had not been purified. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, it talks about six things that the 77th prophecy would do, right? The last of which was to anoint a most holy place. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, it talks about that we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. How did in the Old Testament, how did the temple get cleansed? It got cleansed from a red, the blood of a red heifer without blemish. They purified the temple with its blood. Basically, uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, it does say without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, which the book of Hebrews then expounds upon, right? So it's not so much that the blood is holy or anything like that, but the Lord has said in Ezekiel 18 verse 20 that the soul that sins shall die. Basically, there has to be blood spilled for any sin committed. This is why Jesus went to the cross, people. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. When he died, he said to tell us die, Okay. You may not have actually said that in the Greek, but that's what is recorded in the Greek. And tetelestai was actually a merchant term, meaning paid in full. So if you had a bill or whatnot, they would actually write tetelestai across it, meaning it was paid in full. And that's what Jesus was recorded as saying in the New Testament. Once he died, it is done is how it's translated into English, right? Basically saying all is accomplished. And this is why... It says here that the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit was given in the Old Testament very, very temporary. It was He was usually given to accomplish certain purposes, and then the Holy Spirit would be taken away from him. When Saul was first anointed the first king over Israel, it is recorded after Saul rebelled against the Lord and actually sinned that the Holy Spirit departed from him. And rightly, David would say, in Psalm 51, take not your spirit from me. The new covenant believer need not worry about that. That doesn't mean you can go sin all you want, but it does mean that when we do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense because he died for us or he was glorified for us. And I believe that's what uh, John is talking about here in verse 39. And that makes perfect sense that when uh, Jesus said in verse 38, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And then basically in the very next verse is talking, you know, it's like, okay, well, the spirit had not been given yet because Jesus had not yet died for our sins is another way to say it, in my humble opinion. In verse 40, when they heard those words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet that was talking about in the Old Testament where uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses was talking about, there will be a prophet like me arise from your brothers and you shall listen to him. And if you do not, you will be cut off, basically. That's a summation of what was said in the Old Testament. And that's what they're referring to here. This is really the prophet. In verse 41, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem and the village where David was? This is specifically referring to two different prophecies. One, I believe, is in First Chronicles 17, that basically that there would be one come from David's offspring and his uh, kingdom would be eternal in nature. And the other is from Micah 5.2 that says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, 
whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Basically, he's eternal, right? So that's what they're referring to here. They're like, well, wait a minute. We know where this dude comes from. He comes from Nazareth. He comes from Galilee. There is no prophet that comes from Galilee. So, no, he's not the Christ, right? In verse 43, so there was a division um, among the people over him. So some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. No one laid hands on him because he was also very popular. He was healing people. He was bringing good news. He was saying the kingdom of heaven is near. But then it's like the 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 religious leaders are like, no, 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 no. He's leading people astray and all this and that. So that's why there was division among them. Jesus even said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Right? People would be divided because of Christ. Right? In verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. So it's like you can't defeat the, the logic that Jesus would bring. So it's, it's kind of like this guy can't be a false prophet. He speaks with way too much authority. What he says makes sense. And I'm cut to the heart, in essence, I believe is what they were saying. I think this guy might be the Christ kind of thing. And in verse... Um, 47, they're like, have you been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? So listen, your leaders don't even believe in this guy. Why are you believing in him is in effect what they're saying. In verse 49, but the this crowd does not know the law is accursed, right? So they're like, you know, we're, they're basically bringing condemnation on the whole nation. And, you know, we're all going to burn because of it, basically. In verse 50, Nicodemus had gone to him before, or I'm sorry, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to him, does our law judge a man without first giving him a trial and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, right? So it didn't necessarily say in Micah 5.2 that Jesus would arise from Galilee. It just says from you, right? Was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Oh, yeah, he sure was. Because there was a census that was mandated by the Roman ruler at that time, and every person had to go to the city of his fathers, right? And guess where Mary and Joseph descended from? They were descended from the house of David, from the, the tribe and kingdom of Judah. In Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Whenever jo um, um, Jacob, or renamed Israel, was uh, blessing his 12 sons, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, he said of Judah, who was an actual person, said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And then, in, obviously, in Micah 5.2, that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem, the least of the cities of Judah, Right? So that's what the Pharisees are referring to here. But obviously, they did not believe that he was the prophesied Messiah that was to come. The thing of it is, they believed he would Messiah would appear suddenly and do God knows what else. Restore the uh, kingdom to its fullness, basically. Here is Jesus talking about repenting for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, you know, the kingdom of heaven is in you. Uh, you know, go do and not look lustfully at a woman. Don't be angry with your brother and all this and that. And he's saying things against us. How can he say things against us if he's the Christ? The Christ will be on our side. The Christ will, will, will vindicate us. The Christ will say that we're good people. Instead, he's calling the people who don't know their, 
their 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 hand from a hole in the ground that that he that that, that we're the ones doing the wrong thing right so they rejected him outright and totally okay so that's going to end it for this week i mean basically there's no real deeper meaning here uh apart from what it is i mean the people basically of jesus's time just said you know hey i don't think this is the guy in the pharisees i don't think this is the guy but then there are still people like wait a minute how could he say such things speak with such authority and do these miracles if god were not with him it's like nicodemus said uh when he first came to him came to him in john chapter 3 you know, we know the Lord is with you because you could not do such things unless God were with you. Jesus cuts to the heart. Unless somebody is born again, uh, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, well, wait a minute. I didn't say anything about that. Uh, yeah, but Jesus seeing down to the heart made Nicodemus think fast, basically. And that's what Jesus did. He cut to the heart. He cut to the chase. And I think that's why the Pharisees and Sadducees, by and large, didn't like him because they themselves were filled with probably all things not good, and they were just simply in their positions because they loved positions of power. They didn't care about the people. Kind of sounds like our politicians of our current day. They just simply wanted to be hailed. They wanted to their, their, their feet to be kissed. They wanted their rings to be kissed, which was an ancient custom, right? So they didn't necessarily care about God's word or God's law, okay? So that pretty much wraps it up for this week. So I will see you again next week. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great too confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process if you will to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying lord jesus i believe that you died for my sins i believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and now i confess you as lord please take control of my life and i want to follow you for the rest of my days Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.